0: You're listening to Text Message, the UK focused technology podcast, with me, Nate Langson, and me, Ian Morris. And brought to you by you. Thank you to our beautiful and fantastic patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. Obviously, if you are one of our patrons, you are getting our extended ad free version of this week's show. And if you're not, uh, but would like to get our ad free versions, our extended longer versions, uh, our live streaming, which is going on right now. And hello to everyone listening live in our Discord chat room. um, You can start all that off by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech and find out how you can support us with no commitment and that's key you can try it and if you don't like it you can just cancel and we'll be very grateful for you giving us a shot uh thank you to will dawson and martin gear who have uh, joined us most recently um fantastic to have you guys on board and later on everybody later on we're going to talk about something we have never talked about on the podcast before ever that is a that's the nate langson promise right there Let's begin with British Airways. It's finally, Ian, finally getting on board Wi-Fi. But here's a funny wow. thing. Can you guess, and um, guess without looking at the running yeah, order, okay. how many planes are getting Wi-Fi? Okay, four. Oh, very close, mate. Very close. Three. Um, apparently- what, really? Yes, Three. According to Engadget this week, Uh, the company did say the number will rise to 118 planes over the next two years. Um, But last year, in fact, last April, um, it said customers in all cabins would shortly have access to Wi-Fi on long haul flights and then um, connectivity would be added to the short haul ones, you know, domestic stuff later that year. Uh, Although BA did say to Engadget that that the latter, the the uh short haul stuff will come later this year now.
1: However, I'm sure no one's particularly bothered about short haul. Like we could all live without it on a trip to Amsterdam. It's the you know it's transatlantic and further that we need Wi Fi.
0: I completely disagree. Think about how how annoying it would be to remove Wi Fi from the London
1: tube now. And um, w- yeah, Go but on. I find the London tube Wi Fi very annoying anyway, because it doesn't work in the trains. Yet. We've talked about that. They're extending it. I know, sure and, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time. But the the point is that yes, I I would miss it, but I would I I couldn't live without it because it's stations only, um, and I find that whole process very frustrating. In fact, I'd find it more relaxing because what I tend to do is wait for the tube doors to open, frantically try and get it back on the Wi-Fi, and then do whatever I've got to do, and then it's shut again. And i you know so actually, unless it's in the tubes, I would uh, I'd I'd almost rather get rid of the thing. Well, it will be in the large tubes floating through the air at thirty five
0: thousand feet that are getting these. Um and BA is gonna offer two Wi Fi tiers too. One's called Browse, one's called Stream, and you can guess. Which is designed for what? Um, the browse one starts at five quid, um, and that limits your usage to, to websites and messaging apps, social media, stuff like that. Stream um, has all the, the previous benefits, presumably, um, but will allow you to stream video. And they say that it will have no less than approximately one megabit per second. So uh, that long. that is enough to stream video. Uh, Netflix and and some others, iPlayer and and things like that. Um, Although what will be interesting is where the exit IP on the plane says the plane is, because that might cause havoc with the region blocking of I would imagine that it would
1: be routed back to BA's uh, network and would exit from London or wherever their head office is. You'd um, hope so, wouldn't you? I I believe that's probably going to be the only way to realistically do it. But, you know, it reminds
0: me of the whole DVD region thing where there's all these different region codes, but there are special region codes for things like oil rigs and, uh, yeah. and submarines and even spacecraft or some bizarre thing because, like, technically they're not part of any, any country. And it sort of strikes me that there's an opportunity to say, well, this only applies if your feet are on the ground. And uh, if you're in the plane or in a space station or on something Elon Musk invents in 10 years' time, uh, then you're not subject to region blocking or, or what have you be quite interesting
1: yeah I, I mean region blocking should have died a long time ago shouldn't it yeah um well
0: this so yes the basic st- uh, service starts at 4.99 that's for the browse and the the streaming service the top tier is seven pounds 99 eight so eight eight pounds and you can start 10 minutes after takeoff which isn't which isn't bad
1: well, i don't good. know why you have to wait for 10 minutes i don't know it's
0: the amount of time it takes to get into the the, you know, the the height that the seatbelt sign generally goes off and you can
1: turn your devices yeah. back on, although no, tr- they don't true. care about you're, that anymore. No, because you're allowed to have devices on now as long as they're small. Yes. You know, and I've, as I've as... been asked to shut my iPad in the past, but phones they don't have a problem with and Kindles and stuff like that. And headphones, crucially.
0: They, they don't mind you having your headphones on now when you're taking off.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that makes sense. But, I mean, I, I, I sort of... In a way, I kind of think that is a bit silly because I think people should be aware of what's going on during takeoff and landing. Um, I think people should be sort of more expected to pay attention. I know that everyone's flown and we all know how to get out of a plane. But I don't know, there's just something about it. I kind of think, well, you know, just listen to them. Mm. Well, Richard
0: in the chat room says that uh, that no- the large
1: noise cancelling headphones
0: are ones they do ask you to remove. And I'll say something: I have never been asked to remove mine. I mean, since the new rules came in, generally speaking, even if it's wireless, you sort plug the cable in, and they seem to they don't seem to care. Uh, Richard actually also mentions that um, Air Canada, presumably flies to Canada, uh, costs twenty dollars for Wi Fi access during the flight i'm hoping that one of the three planes that does have wi-fi is one of the one is the one that kate and i are flying to japan on at the end of the month because (laughs) um that would be delightful well it'd be interesting to see people's experiences with uh with these sorts of things um because the uh the the issue with things like latency and 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 what have you makes real-time communication i would have thought quite quite challenging Uh, but there's so many planes around the world now that have this it'd be really interesting to get some real world examples of people's experience using in-plane wi-fi what do you use it for is it annoying or do you get annoyed with other people using it do people actually use the phone because that was always the fear that people would be on the the phone
1: that i've seen i've used it and it's fine it's not yeah. a great experience, but it was for me, it was worth the money because it enabled me to tweet and work and stuff like that. So, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: Fair enough. Um, but you can let us know any experiences you have had, please, um, at hello at techpodcast.uk. Ian. Yes? It's time to talk about cows.
1: Oh, good. I've been looking
0: forward to this. Yes. it's Since be it a- was
1: first mooted earlier. I'm
0: glad you started with the puns because there are. I'm I'm going to milk these puns for all their work oh, God, this he's week. Off already, I am indeed. According to the Irish Times, Canethus, probably woefully mispronouncing that—but it's an Irish ag tech or agricultural tech startup um, has developed facial recognition for cows. We already knew that, but it's received funding from a company called Cargill, which is one of the largest crop traders and meat producers in the world. I saw this story and instantly thought, "Huh." What? WTF. Um, So I did a little bit of probing around on this. Now, and apparently, this is a really, really useful piece of technology for farmers because at the moment, you don't, you aren't really able to get real time monitoring of what a cow. I don't say what what what's a cow feeling like, you know, milk yield and uh, water intake, food intake, all stuff like that. Um, But but the the technology here actually allows the the farmer to monitor the health and well being of livestock, and it uses images, photos basically of um, of the cow using either body patterns like their markings and, and facial recognition as well in order to track all of this sort of stuff, including things like behavioral patterns. And then the software can deliver real-time analytics back to the farmer on a cow-by-cow basis. You know, so we we talk about the internet of things being like uh, machine to machine communication. This is, I don't even know what this counts as C to C cow to consumer cow to. It's very bizarre. Um, but it can identify individual cows by their features in apparently several seconds and then record the animal's identity. Um, and then, yeah, as I say, it, it means that what used to take days or weeks to garner useful information from can now basically be done in, in real time. And they've got investment and funding from a gigantic meat producing conglomerate. I think they're US based, actually, Cargill, but I need to I'd have to double check that um, in order to expand and they're going to bring the the technology now to to more dairy farms around the world um, and that they're also going to expand into other species including pigs and and, uh, poultry and things and and maybe even fish now that to me is amazing and as soon as I heard this story I thought I'm going on Monday or Tuesday to pitch a video to Bloomberg to go over to Ireland and see cow facial recognition tech in action because
1: it just (laughs) sounds utterly fantastic it, it, it does sound like a genuinely interesting story. And, um, I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not surprising to me that every cow's face is unique and different and people can, or, you know, technology can differentiate them. But the idea of, it, of how they do it is, is quite fascinating, actually.
0: Kate in the chat room is uh, positing that spray painting numbers on cows would be too obvious as a way of identifying. I don't think that that necessarily <laughs> tracks, uh, it wouldn't allow a machine to track these cows the idea is that it's it's increasing the efficiency of the sort of farmyard to table strategy if you like well you could
1: just put a qr code on them you know like ink on a qr code on i don't think that would work i mean a cow is
0: basically well it basically is a giant qr code isn't it a black and white cow yeah hmm
1: just, okay. just use the whole cow. I mean, I suppose that that might be what they're doing. It might be essentially that exact thing. It's it's the patterning and whatever. But I mean, not all cows are black and white. Let's not forget. Like a lot of cows are not like are brown or you know a, diff- a different color. I, I, that's basically my cow knowledge exhausted. Hmm. Well, they have four stomachs. Yes, I know that.
0: It's an interesting point, isn't it? And and sometimes
1: you have to stick your whole arm up up the the backside of one to ascertain uh, problems. I I did used to watch All Creatures Great and Small, and there wasn't a week went by where uh, James Herriot didn't have his uh, arm up a cow. This isn't the first time we've seen facial recognition being used for animals, because
0: there has been a report uh, for Time, in fact, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, where software had been developed to identify cats. And part of the reason for this was to innovate the cat door technology. So instead of having a cat's collar with a little magnet or RFID chip, which is how some Mm -hmm. of the more advanced cat doors can detect your cat from another cat, software now exists to track the cat on a you know an, a, a machine learning basis so it knows your cat's face and only lets your cat through the door and similar has been done for cat feeders as well so they can recognize um, each individual cat distribute the right amount of food based on what that specific cat has had now that, that day. would
1: be really useful because um we've got two cats as you know and um hugo will eat all of his food and then eat all of annie's food um and annie she's not so bothered. She's not a big eater anyway, but she does deserve more food than she gets. So that, that's a good way of, you know, like getting some facial recognition to stop that fat cat from eating his sister's food.
0: Ian, we're going to talk now about one of our favourite uh, topics, Broadband. Oh god, I'm so excited! And in fact, you know what? We can we can we can preempt this because we ha- there is a slight mobile phone related story that we can use as a segue here because the Scotsman reported this week that the UK government has to fix Scotland's unacceptable—that's a quote—unacceptable mobile phone coverage, and this is according to the Federal uh, Federation of Small Businesses, and that's what it's planning to tell MPs next week. Essentially, it says again the FSB says. Um, that 17% of Scotland's geography has 4G mobile coverage compared to 60% of England's. Now, my immediate thought was well, Scotland has a lot more hills, that makes 4G an awful lot more difficult to, you know, to, to, to penetrate, if you like. Um, and I don't know how that could necessarily be addressed, since
1: that a lot of those geographical areas are also sparsely populated. Whereas that's exactly what I was going to say, because it's never yeah. those mobile phone um, numbers are never given on the basis of landmass; they're given on population reach, aren't they? So yeah. it might be that they reach ninety nine percent of Scotland's population, uh, and in fact, that's in fact I would say you, you probably far easier to get a ninety nine percent coverage rate in Scotland than you could in England interesting well yes yes probably actually
0: um i mean richard uh, taylor in the chat room says that in northern ireland uh, their transmitters are on top of hills well that makes sense yeah yeah so you get better signal out there than you do in towns and certainly when i've been in scotland we have received 4g but it 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 varies wildly and and it also differs quite dramatically you know based obviously on what network you're on because the networks use different um, frequencies of spectrum which are Sometimes better at getting around obstacles than than others, um, but that's that's what the the FSB is going to tell uh, is going to tell MPs next week that more needs to be done here. However, I'd be
1: interested to know why they're telling the UK government that and why it's not a Scottish matter for the Scottish Parliament. But um, that's a very niche question, and it's not one that I mean aggressively. It's one that I'm genuinely interested in.
0: Yeah, no, I'm interested as well. I mean, I I wonder if it's something to do with devolved parliaments not necessarily being it able is, to assign I, funds I... in the same in the same way but who knows but
1: presumably they could all they could still put pressure on the mobile operators to do a better job in scotland if it's a concern if you know they should be saying to them look you know you're operating up here you've got to you know get some more coverage
0: yeah if anyone in scotland uh listening has knowledge or experience about about this it'd be very useful to um to have you write in hello at techpodcast.uk maybe give us a bit of local insight on uh on what mobile networks and coverage and things is like in general uh up there where you make the best whiskey in the world um however it related to another story that we saw this week about scotland and and more broadband in in general in that edinburgh is going to be one of the first eight cities that Openreach is going to bring its ultra fast internet connections to um by 2020 um, bt obviously Oh, BT still owns OpenReach, right? It's just not uh, yeah, operated they're, they're, by Yeah, they're it.
1: legally separate ident- entities, but they are still the same company.
0: Yeah. So OpenReach said this week that it promises to connect 3 million premises to ultra-fast uh, fiber connections by 2020. Um, and in, in addition to that, well, I say in addition, by ultra-fast, they're talking about increasing speeds from 24 megabits a second um, to 100 megabits. However... I looked at the original press release that this news came from and Clive Selly, who's the chief, uh, the CEO of OpenReach, said, bloody blah, 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 blah. This, uh, working closely with central and local governments, our communications provider customers, we will identify the cities, towns and rural areas where we can build a future-proofed fibre-to-the-premises network that's capable of delivering gigabit speeds to all homes and business businesses at an affordable cost. What you can read into that is that they are having to very gently roll this out in order to make sure that it remains affordable while at the same time not offering a competitive service, perhaps compared to what Virgin and City Fiber and others are doing. Um, but nonetheless, the CEO still said they're going to connect 10 million customers to this ultra fast uh, connection of you know gigabit fiber to the premises stuff by twenty twenty five. Ian, I know you uh, retweeted this story on the text message account this week uh, with some
1: criticisms uh, of which I shared. Would you like to discuss uh, said critique? Yeah, it's not enough people, is it? It's it, I, I, really. I just want. I just want money to be spent on this from the, the kind of money that is being wasted every day on things like high speed two. I think is is going to be much better deployed on making it so that people don't have to go into cities to do work. I would like the situation to be where people can live wherever they feel geographically happiest. Like for example, I don't like the sea. I've no interest in living by the sea. I find the sea to be a thoroughly irritating thing. It's um, only and, you mate could be boring. Could be personally annoyed by water. Very much so. I find I find I find the seaside to be a, an affront to my uh, desire to be w- warm and, and not blown over by wind. Um, <laughs> the chat room is making me laugh because I'm complaining, and apparently that's a, a, a two drink minimum. Um, so yes, so I, but what I th- what I strongly feel is that it, you know as soon as we can make it so that people can live in the middle of rural Scotland and still have a job. Where they're working with colleagues in London, in Manchester, in you know, in New York, I, I kind of feel that that's where the future is. I don't think the future is us getting on a metal box with a hundred other sweaty people and bit feeling miserable for an hour of unproductive time while we move ourselves into a, a capital city. It's just ridiculous. Yes, and also, and also, also.
0: Yes, I I I also I also think that uh if we got rid of that people would be
1: far less likely to have their iPads stolen going into uh, yes, Liverpool Street Station as uh, well. Exactly. And and that's a, and that's another thing, you know, we've all we've all had problems with trains whereby we've uh lost something or or gained a weird friend. Um but you know, a, a lot of people will will tell you about um you know, high speed 2 which is supposed to make it easier for people in Birmingham to come to London. Now that that whole attitude is completely wrong. It, it, it's like, you know, or, or to make it easier for London people to go to Birmingham. It just, it's just stupid. It's it's cutting a small amount of time for, a, you know, billions and billions of spent on in infrastructure. When do people really need to go to, I mean, we don't need to be in the same room to do a podcast, do we? And I don't need to be in the same uh, country as Forbes to write articles for them. And I, I'm able to, you know, understand the markets in the UK and, uh, and the US to an extent that i you know all the only thing stopping me from working for an american company is just the fact that i need to understand the market over there enough to give it some context to an american audience you know so really and i know that not all jobs are the same but the majority of people do not need to be in an office in london every single day and i think as soon as we can make it so that the whole country is on a level footing with good broadband, that's mandatory. You know, the government says you must be able to provide this speed, and it should go up by a decent amount every year to, you know, to allow for new technologies and new, you know, whatever people need to do. Um, you know, because VR is going to offer people a lot of opportunities to, um, you know, to physically see things. Like you, you could, uh, I could get a briefing from Apple, and they could take me in VR to California, and I could see the product without leaving my house. Uh, that saved countless carbon and I'm still getting, you know, I, mean, I, I know it's obviously not quite the same and you can't take photos of a virtual environment. But what I'm saying is I think that this is a very, you know, previous century solution to a a problem. And, and, and broadband is still not fast enough for huge numbers of people. You know, we were chatting in the chat room about it. Um, you know, people still getting... ADSL version one speeds you know sub one megabit per second in this day and age is just not good enough, and it could be solved with a relatively modest investment
0: well John in the chat room is uh, is saying that uh, he can 't really do his job from home unfortunately because he 's a teacher sure, and that immediately my first thought was, oh yeah, of course, and then my second thought was I went to the bet. Uh, education conference last uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of the panels one of the sessions that I went to sort of looked at remote schooling and how Skype uh, and and a, and a couple of other technologies can be used to improve access to education and one of the examples that they were that they that they gave me was a, a way of having one country's students learn about another student's country if you're following me yeah even if they didn't speak the same language by talking over skype and and trying to describe their country to the other the other student and skype has this real-time translation feature in it that microsoft research developed and and was baked into skype that meant you could have a a group of students speaking english and a group of students speaking spanish and they could talk to each other as if they were speaking the same language and try and guess which country that other student or group of students was in. And I thought, when I when I thought that's a thing that actually exists now, that actually how long can it be that a teacher could work from home a, 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 in a traditional environment? I don't mean things like Open University lecturers and some people who may do a lot of grading or online tutorials from home or, or run a MOOC, but but an actual you know typical thirty class thirty kids per class secondary school. Oh, I can't make it in today because uh, I, you know, I'm snowed in. But instead, I'll project my image onto the wall, and we're gonna we're gonna have the lesson exactly the same. Which, again, as you say, broad, very fast broadband and low latency broadband would be essential for that. Yeah. But I'd, I, I'm sure that's if it's not
1: a thing now, I bet it will be in the next five years. I think, you know, that that all of the stuff that worries me most about our government tends to be the fact that even with with, with probably quite competent advisers, they still aren't getting that the future is not going to be getting on a train and i i've seen no evidence that anything can't be done i mean you know traditionally schooling would be quite a challenge to do virtually but i i i feel like it must be possible and in some countries it would make a huge difference if you could um if you could say school urban chinese children you know centrally or whatever so that everyone has the same access to the same quality of education um, I mean, and uh, frankly, if, if in 100 years' time we're still moving kids into a building for school when they could have, you know, you, you could have one teacher, you could have specialists for every kind of education and every child in the country could get the same schooling and, you know, with, and with great results you could pick the very best teachers and you would save huge amounts of money. I, if, that's, if that's not happened by the time I'm shuffling off earth um, and, you know, I, I'll be very, I'd be surprised and annoyed because we're doing everything wrong.
0: Well, John is. Uh, John added in the chat room actually that the the school that he teaches in has a sister school in China, and they do the the uh, the the, or rather, they're planning to do the the Skype chats between between the between his school and the and the Chinese school. You know, it's, and he's he's done he says he's done videos as well of him teaching lessons. Um, but he says it's very labour intensive, so I, I, it feels like technology is beginning to crack that problem. Um, but as you say, there's a lot of there's a lot of obstacles that need to be overcome. Yeah. Um, I just
1: don't think that we should also be subsidising something that you know, like I mean, I, trains for me are, seem to be one of those things that we they're a money pit. Um, and broadband, on the other hand, isn't so much. It's possible to make money from broadband. If you invest in it, then the government could get a return on that that would pay it off. I don't think you'd need to invest very much. It certainly wouldn't ha- need to be billions, probably. Um, I mean, although it may be. But I think over the course of the next five years, you would could, could completely pay that money back to the public purse if you ran it properly. So... You know, I just feel like it's, it's, it's one of those things that should be happening anyway. I could, they could do both if they want. If they want to do both, if I want to do high-speed 2 and broadband, but they just don't care about broadband, and I think it's much more important than they do. Well, the uh, for
0: now at least, OpenReach is going to be beginning the first phase of its uh, super-fast, its ultra-fast broadband rollout. To uh, eight cities later this year: Birmingham, Bristol, Cardiff, Edinburgh, Leeds, Liverpool, London, and Manchester. No surprises there, um, and that would form the first phase. Yes, the first phase of the program uh, to connect forty uh, towns, cities, uh, and boroughs. But maybe too little, too late. I think is 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 possibly the consensus. There. Yes. Let us know any feelings you have on this, or uh, obviously any other broadband topic. We we try not to overdo the broadband stuff, oh, and I know it's become long. a little bit of a it's become a little a bit of a, a a joke that we talk about broadband a lot. But the reason for it is that we have an incredibly competitive broadband market and media market in the UK and in and Europe. And it's one of the areas where I think we've got a lot more to talk about than the US does. You know, they can talk about broadband and telecoms in the context of, you know, abusive monopolies or uh, or too little choice. We have almost the exact opposite problem, which is we have, we generally have far too much choice no not too much but you know what i mean we have so much choice that it can be quite confusing and there's there's an awful lot of of developments going on very very fast and so we you know we'd like to break that down for you uh, but if you want us to talk about broadband less then obviously you can you can let us know in uh, the email let's move into some email shall we ian i can feel the uh, the mailbag bulging with uh sort of hope and expectation and, and dreams. Um, would you like to take the first email we've had here from Tom? Yes, I would.
1: <clears throat> Hello, Nate and Ian. Your discussion about Wi-Fi calling got me thinking about visual voicemail. Why is it still not available on Vodafone? I've had a Vodafone iPhone for work without, um, and an O2 uh, iPhone for personal use with. Surely, after so many years, it should be available on all carriers. Thanks, Tom. Yes, it's not available on 3 either, as Richard points out in the chat. Um, Is it still just O2? Uh, I
0: I believe so. I mean, it it definitely still isn't on on, on Vodafone. I mean, a big part
1: of the reason why is simply because you have to enable a lot in the back end to make it work. It's a significant investment, isn't it? Like, it, And it was done... O2 did it because it had to in order to get the contract to sell the iPhone exclusively. Um, yeah. No one Plus, else had to do it. Although I'm surprised Apple didn't sort of insist on it, really, because it is a it, well, it was a huge part of the iPhone, wasn't it? I think the other reason for it as well is that the move away from
0: traditional voice communications and towards over-the-top services, you know, your, your messaging apps and your VoIP things, they've sort yeah. of made the need... Or at least the justification of the investment kind of redundant now, um, which definitely wasn't the case when the iPhone first came out. But today, I mean, I mean, when was the last time you had a useful
1: voicemail? Uh, really? I, you know what, mate? I'm actually going to turn my voicemail off because it, it's nothing but nonsense. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's massively in need.
0: Uh, but that's that's probably why. Uh, to answer your question, uh, Tom uh, Stuart wrote in, and this is the last time we're going to talk about Wi-Fi calling because I know our original. Uh, emailer it's probably i mean he emailed in actually and said he was very grateful for all this support the community's given which is which is great uh, but Stuart did write in and said that uh, just wanted to add the ee wi-fi calling works for the pixel and nexus 6p uh, which he and his wife uses and he shares a link to the supported phones on ee's website so maybe we'll include that link in the show notes and uh, good idea consider it a, a repository for for all things wi-fi calling but uh, thanks to everyone for all that help and uh, And input, it's great having such a big community to to draw experience and knowledge from. Uh, Kirian has written in Hi guys I'd like to chime in my personal experience with Qi charging In general I agree with Nate's sentiment about the current state of wireless charging It's not really much different than just using the cable and generally a worse experience You now have a slower charge which to be fair isn't a problem if it's overnight he points out Uh, and often those pads are fairly fussy about the position of the phone If you're not placing it close to dead centre the rate of charging drops exponentially The one place where I have seen a good use for it is when I was at a Starbucks Bucks in San Francisco and each seat has a chi pad. Casually charging my device without hunting for a plug point was pretty nice, he says. Where I am optimistic on the tech is if they can scale it to the point where a large mat or pad can be used to charge several devices simultaneously. When that becomes available and affordable, then I'd see that as a marked improvement over the current wired method. As a recent expat, you guys, one of the ways that I used to keep, one of the ways I used to keep track of what's going on back in the UK, so very appreciative of what you guys do. Well, thank you very much, Kieran. It's uh, it's great to have you uh, as a listener. And Actually, the whole multiple device charging thing, that's something Apple's bringing out, I believe, right? It they, is, yes.
1: Where is it, though? The, where, where is this flipping charger?
0: I'm not sure, because at the moment, they're still pushing the, the third-party ones, the Belkin ones. Yeah. Um, but the the one that they have announced, and certainly is due to come out, can charge up to three devices. You know, the idea yeah. being that it's an iPhone and an Apple Watch at the same time. I think it's three devices, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, it's the Airp- AirPods, um, ah, Apple it, yes. Watch and the phone. Um, yeah, I really, I would really like that because uh, the, the Apple Watch isn't widely supported. Um, apparently, you can get that to charge on some wireless charging pads. Um, But the iPhone charges flawlessly on all of my wireless charging devices, um, including a really old one from a company called Tilt uh, that I got sent years ago that that never really worked brilliantly with um, Samsung's and LG phones. It was always kind of really hit and miss whether you could actually get it on you know, the charging thing and get it to work. But actually on the iPhone, it works flawlessly and the iPhone works flawlessly on both of my Samsung Puck chargers as well, um, which are wireless. And it's just, I've written about this before, but the the way that Apple's implemented it is just somehow better. I don't know how. I'm sure people are just going to call me a massive fanboy, but you have to work a lot less hard to get an iPhone to lock its charge. Maybe it's um, still a victim of that slow charging thing and they just don't tell you. Um, but it's it's a lot more keen to pick up a charger than any of my Android phones are.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've found that the
1: the iPhone X
0: does charge very slowly on the wireless charging pad, but it doesn't seem as fussy as to the exact placement. Um, but it's still slow enough that I haven't used it since doing the review because well, mine's
1: just... on the, mine's on my desk. So um, so what I do is when I'm because I used to just use a a wooden IKEA phone stand. But now what I do is I just put it on the charging dock and it, and, and so it, whatever, it's char- whatever it's got down to during my walk to take the kids to school or whatever, I put it on my desk when I get back and it starts charging and and then it's ready to go when I, I need to go and I pick it up and it's charged. It's a lot easier and then I've got one by the bed, I put it on the thing and then it's got all night to charge, I don't care if it's quick or not, it's it's absolutely fine, works brilliantly. So, you know, for me it's, it's ideal and it means I don't have to faff around with cables. A Macworld report suggested that the Apple's AirPower pad will launch maybe
0: Q one of this year, so by March or April possibly. Yeah. But it's still not it's still not out. And a leak has suggested that it might cost as much as two hundred pounds. Oh is, my.
1: If that's the cost, then it's that's a big mistake. Yeah.
0: I mean that is an awful lot of money to very slowly charge your device. I would them. suggest.
1: I well it won't be slow. It will be fast. Um it's. Um, I think that it's because they've upped the wattage it can do now, haven't they? To fast charging, hmm. because there was an iOS update that enabled it, wasn't there? There was. Well, uh, Stephen in
0: the chat room has asked if anyone's ordered a HomePod. Uh, the answer is no. However, uh, I am picking one up on Tuesday, and I did go in to see Apple last week and got to hear one. In fact, I got to hear two, as uh, uh, side by side in
1: the paired configuration that isn't available at launch for some bizarre reason um, so maybe you're <laughs> the, the, the amount of delays they've been getting this thing out, you would have thought they'd have cracked that by now, but yeah i mean so so i'll give you a brief summary if if, if for
0: those of you who are interested um it does sound very 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 good yeah i will give them that it sounds i've compared it to uh an amazon echo a um what else was there a google home a thing, and a couple of others. And it's definitely hands down the best sounding of any of those devices categorically. However, to me, the killer feature is having it in a paired configuration. So having two of them, I've heard it play a piece of music with two together and it sounds insanely good, like really, really good to the level that it wouldn't surprise me if some people won't buy bookshelf speakers and instead use this. It's that impressive
1: i've heard that the um that the the way they do the room mapping is very very clever and it sounds very good as a result it it does it sounds very very good
0: um you wouldn't replace a hi-fi with one of them but i could definitely see some people who are maybe not like crazy hi-fi nuts but do like good sound and do like design i could see those sorts of people replacing uh, a hi-fi and uh you know and and bookshelf speakers with these uh, it's expensive but it sounds fantastic the, the the problem with it though is that the home pod has very limited um kind of automation features if you like compared to something like the Amazon Echo and and the Google Home you know it's it was only able to stream news from Sky BBC and LBC and I asked I said why you know why can't i add more and they told apple said that part of the reason is that those stations actually it's not that you're streaming their radio show they're producing uh custom produced news summaries every half an hour or so uh, that can can be streamed via the home pod so it's it's a bespoke streaming news system that well these-
1: pre- presumably it's also it's also the same one that they use for Sky News break on Amazon Alexa and um other Like-minded devices. Absolutely, yeah. Sorry, I'm not implying it's bespoke for Apple. No, but I'm just—it's a good way of explaining. If you see it on Amazon, then it's very likely it'll eventually be on the HomePod.
0: Yeah, I think I think so, too. Um, you know, it's it, it's very much locked down to an to an Apple device. You know, you can't use it with anything else uh, unless you have at least one iOS device to set it up. Then you can use AirPlay to stream to it. Um, that's very, very limited. Uh, it is expensive. It's £350. Um, in my experience using it, I would I, I definitely think it sounds great. And I think it's got potential but i wouldn't buy one for 350 quid and even though it sounds amazing with two of them i certainly wouldn't buy two at 700 quid um to get that yet i think it needs in my limited experience with it so far very good sounding but i think the version two with with more siri integration i think will be will be will be more impressive and um I think it's one of these things where it depends what you're buying it for. If you're buying it because you live in the Apple ecosystem, you want a really great sounding speaker, and you're not actually that bothered about Siri too much, then it's actually probably quite a good product to buy. It's certainly something that I can see being used in bedrooms and kitchens. Um, and when I actually questioned Apple about the whole limited functionality of Siri, they they said that you know they look at what most people use Siri for, and it's things like setting timers, checking weather, train times, uh, setting reminders and alarms, playing some music, uh, you know, doing uh, voice calls and stuff on speakerphone they are all the things that the homepod can do because apparently that's what the majority of people are using Siri for so they've sort of said let's just take that that giant percentage make sure it does those things and all the other nuanced stuff and specific stuff um you know we can maybe leave out but uh, but build in Siri kits the whole api framework for people to bake homepod into into apps so it's in the hands of developers to a certain extent um but that's this is all based on about you know an hour with the device under apple's sort of uh demonstration if you like in in their offices so take all that with a pinch of salt i'm getting one this week and i'm going to do a pretty thorough review of it i would imagine for the show so if you have any questions do send them in i'll happily work those into the review or um or just answer them on the show um that is it. I think that's that's uh, that's all we have to say on the mailbag. We did have one other email from Charles actually, who says, "Ian and Nate, because every gentleman should have a shoehorn. I made my son one for Christmas. See attached, and he has indeed made him a shoehorn. It's a very attractive picture. It's amazing. And we ha- we had a number of people who um, have emailed us to say that they've bought or been bought shoehorns." at Christmas as a direct result of our championing of the labour-saving device that we are we, such a fan of.
1: We are having an absolutely incredible impact on the shoehorn industry. I think that we, we should... If there's ever a, you know, a shoehorn marketing board and they do an advert, then you and I absolutely must front it.
0: Yeah, we'll be the Mitchell and Webb of the shoehorn yes. Apple ad equivalent. Yes, you know, absolutely.
1: I'm a shoehorn, I'm a
0: hand... <laughs> uh hey tell me hand do you like having to be used in order to remove a shoe uh, uh that's probably run its course um anyway
1: <laughs> if you have any further
0: thoughts on anything uh, we've discussed today uh, or may discuss tomorrow or indeed at any point in the future or past uh, you can do so on hello at dot uk. now let's check in with our good friend tom merritt over at Daily Tech News Show. Tom, do fill us in what's been going on in the wider world of tech this week. Hey, thanks so much. This week on DTNS, we learned why Nikkei will continue to report iPhone production cuts, but it probably doesn't mean actual iPhone production cuts. Ryan Shroud explained why cryptocurrency miners are sending GPU
1: prices up and why you probably don't need to hold off buying a new PC just because of the whole Spectre meltdown thing. We also discussed the joys of renting things through the internet rather than owning them,
0: the benefit of a stylus standard, and assessed the dangers of machine Machine learning that create fake videos. All that more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you, Tom. Okay, well, I think we're about done, Chief. We're about done. Uh, Thanks again to all of our patrons and to everyone who's uh, started supporting us this year. Uh, We really, in fact, I'm going to steal something that Tom says on his show. They try and every month try and have at least one more patron than the previous month and they have more listeners than us but i still like to think we could maybe have one more patreon at the end of each month than the previous month so if you have if you've ever been thinking about joining us maybe join us this month ian uh we're done i need to uh start editing a podcast don't i yes this one presumably yes indeed this this particular one cheerio yes (laughs) fantastic